Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another edition of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Well, October 1st marks another pivot point for this pilot group, and there are some important things to consider as the landscape changes. And to help me talk about that, we have some of the usual folks, Captain Will McQuillan, your MEC Chairman, Chris Gruner, Negotiating Chairman, and I brought in as well Captain Scott Rubin, who is our Scheduling Committee Chairman. Will, start us off as you normally do and, and talk about why October 1st is, is that pivot point. Yeah, well, thank you, David. Uh, you kind of hit on it there that there really is a, a landscape change that happens here on October 1st. Um, obviously, we have 137 of our pilots who volunteered to retire early. And today is their first day of, of separation from this company, some of whom have been here for, you know, decades and decades. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, we do have a nice video commemorating their service and their careers. And I assume we can put a link in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have that down down below. So check that out on your phones and you should be able to go right to it. Okay, perfect. And, you know, I thank them again for all their contributions to this pilot group over the years. And also thank everybody who was instrumental in, in putting that video together. But uh, in terms of, of the landscape changes, yeah, it's not just 137 pilots who are volunteering to, to retire early. 933 pilots elected to take some form of leave under either the EIL or the ELOA programs. And, um, you know, this is all worth celebrating because obviously we avoided a furlough without any changes to our CBA. Um, it also, obviously, the time away will allow a number of our pilots who are exposed to, you know, serial training cycles with these bids as we realign fleets to have time away and to not undergo multiple training events. But overall, and it means that a third of our pilot group will no longer be flying the line as of today, October 1st. And I would caution that if you're on an EIL, this is not the time to be complacent. It's exactly the opposite. It's a time to be vigilant, a time to be engaged. And again, the landscape is changing. That'll kind of be what we talk about throughout this podcast recording. Um, some evidence of that and system bids are gonna be ongoing. If you're on an EIL, you're going to need to participate. Uh, we'll be polling and continually seeking those improvements that you've always been telling us that you're focused on. You need to stay aware, you need to stay engaged. And I think uh, also, David, you probably want to bring up the fact that we have a, a way to communicate with people who are out on the EIL program yeah, as well. I do. Thanks for bringing that up. And, you know, I recognize, I think if I were in the, the position of a lot of these folks, I might not want to stay, you know, reading every single email that ever came out to them throughout the week. And so we've created a, another communication tool called In the Loop. And there's a number of ways that folks can stay in the loop. One is we'll have this communication that goes out on roughly a monthly basis. So we'll recap the really significant things that have been going on at the MEC and at the airline level and things that folks that are away might really want to pay attention to. So I would ask if you tune out a little bit, make sure you're watching through your email. And if you see something labeled in the loop, that's just for you. So take a look at it. We also have a page on the alaskapilots.org website just for pilots who are away in on these programs so you can always go to the website and look at it there and there will also be a facebook page that you can join i'll have links to those as well in the show notes good and you know like i was saying remaining engaged is 
you know, more critical now than ever. Um, hey, Will, I want to come back to something you just mentioned about how the landscape is changing. Other than the reality that about a third of our pilots won't be flying the line for a period, what else did you mean by that? Well, simply that navigating this pandemic is far from over, right? The recovery is sporadic. And I think that we've all heard by now, if you've been watching any of the company webinars or reading of any of the company material, uh, you've seen that they've got a great focus on their cash burn zero initiative. And then here recently, the last webinar included an announcement of uh, seeking productivity. You know, at every turn, they did a five, six year look back for seeking peak productivity for each of the work groups and trying to drive back to that goal. And, you know, all of these things give me pause. It means the company is going to be seeking to make changes, you know, that will impact pilots who are remaining here to fly the line. And then, of course, those uh, who return as well. And we've already kind of seen that if you saw last month's, I guess it was about a month ago, the letter, uh, flight ops letter talking about seeking to try and change scheduling parameters. And I know we're going to talk about that extensively here in a bit, but that would have obviously impacted our uh, quality of life dramatically. And, you know, we've already seen, and we'll also talk about that here shortly, an uptick in the use of reassignments to bid block holders. Uh, we've seen an uptick in calls to contract compliance about scheduling practices that are concerning or questionable to pilots. And indeed, you know, we've got a growing list of concerns that we share regarding whether or not the CBA is truly being followed. You know, there are a number of company initiatives that are going to touch our lives and we just need to be vigilant to them. And it, for instance, we don't have Scott Mocus on today, but he could talk to you about the, um, the hotel contracts that are currently being reevaluated as well under cost savings initiatives. You know, I guess it said, all it says to me is that the company is going to try and save money at every turn and that they're going to attempt to try and do more with less. And that is the focus of management at this time. And, you know, obviously things that are inefficient on a spreadsheet um, are often the same things that equate to quality of life when it comes to, to this pilot group. Yeah, and just to be clear, the changes that you hear management opining that they'd like to have is not easy for them to do. They can't unilaterally change the contract or extract concessions, right? Chris, you want to flesh that out for me? Yeah, that's correct, David. And in fact, a lot of the work we've been doing over the last year or so is to really hone in on that contract compliance. You know, management has made it clear that even to them, the contract is a, a bright line. And so we've been working to make sure that um, that is in fact followed. So even in this environment, maybe even more so, it's important that areas of mutual agreement are carried out in uh, ways that we, we expect. Um, also, I think it's important to remember that right now we're still negotiating a contract, right? We're far past the amendable date. We're, uh, you know, working through the section six process. And so that is also an important context for how we move forward. But the bottom line is if there are any changes, they need to be negotiated. So we are still working on making sure that we're advancing your priorities. And in fact, on October 5th, we're gonna start polling again. So uh, please, if you get a phone call, it might say scam likely, but uh, it's coming from New Hampshire. So please pick up the phone, make sure that we're hearing from you and we understand what's important to you. So that way we can move forward and uh, act on that. And that's gonna be what we're advocating for as we move forward, because we're here again to represent the pilots. 
So uh, it's also, I think, David, um, important to point out here and to reiterate, we said this a lot when we started contract negotiations, but there's no arbitration backstop this time. So once we negotiate anything, right, that's going to go back to you uh, to make sure that you guys have an opportunity to vote on it and approve it before it becomes something that's actually implemented. So, you know, we were encouraged with the uh, EILs and being able to work constructively to solve problems with the company over the last several months through this. We really hope that that is a template for us to move forward, to be able to identify problems and then to uh, work to go ahead and move forward. And uh, you've made it clear to us uh, where your concerns are. And uh, so again, we'll continue to work diligently to make sure that uh, we work to solve those. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And I think as you're mentioning the importance and value of the membership ratification, this highlights why it's important to participate in that poll if called and to just keep your MEC informed because ultimately, your work on the committee is driven by what you're told by the MEC and and that is driven by the pilots. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate on the poll as well. If they don't get a hold of you, they're going to try to call back. If it's still not working, they're going to find somebody else in a similar demographic to make sure that they're uh, getting the appropriate cross-sectional data. So they do uh, work really hard and scientifically to make sure we get an accurate response from the entire pilot group and the reps can then use that to um, gauge where your priorities are. Right. Chris, in a minute, I want to come back to this idea of the company trying to make unilateral changes to the, the contract. But, but before we move on, I, I guess maybe we'll summarize what the line pilot really needs to take away from this conversation about this changing landscape. Well, I think what we're saying is that it's time to be vigilant as pilots when it comes to contractual concerns, contractual compliance, and to being involved and informed, right? Um, no protector CBA reach out to those resources that ALPA has available to you when it comes to these contractual issues, contract compliance, call them when things just don't seem right. You know, now is the time to stay unified and focused and uh, in essence, our herd is a little bit smaller in terms of the active line pods. We cannot allow unity to fracture. And uh, I suppose I should mention that, you know, there really is nothing wrong with the, the company's goals of cash burn zero and productivity per se. But the proper path forward, and our point on this is, just like when we negotiated the extended incentive lines, the rails, the ELOAs, the proper path forward is through mutual problem solving and not unilateral initiatives, which is what I think you're getting ready to discuss. So one of the things that comes to my mind as we talk about changes is the flight ops memo from a few weeks ago where they talked about making changes to the way pairings were constructed. Yeah, exactly, David. So we do have a long-standing mutual agreement between both the company and ALPA to run pairings each month using a baseline set of rules. So, you know, the company was looking to adjust how they run the optimizer. But um, during Section 6 negotiations, not only do we have this long-standing process, but we've also proposed to further strengthen it. So, you know, while, you know, we worked through this and the company ultimately chose ALPA's pairing solution for November, you know, we do expect them to honor this process and then, you know, to create a company solution uh, using that baseline set of rules. So I know, Ruben, you might have some more uh, comments on how that ended up going and what that looks like. Sure, Chris. Uh, I guess the best way to walk the pilot group through this is to tell the story. On August 27th, when that flight ops memo went out, an hour or two before that memo 
uh, was sent, we had our first contact with the company to discuss these optimizer rules. Over the next two weeks, we had a couple other meetings. One was a safety risk analysis and the other was a uh, fatigue safety action group meeting. In both of those subsequent meetings, uh, we had debate and discussions surrounding these proposed rules that they wanted to shut off. I will say that no agreements were made to turn any specific rule off and no progress was made to get to some sort of agreement during those meetings. And I think, Scott, the important part was that each of these meetings was an attempt to understand what each one of the rules that was under consideration by the company to um, to turn off in the optimizer, you know, what it did and a perception versus reality. And we know, and as we discussed in both these meetings, each of these rules have a important fatigue or safety function. Um, they've been negotiated directly or implemented as a result of mutually agreed upon action with the company in fatigue meetings and safety meetings. I mean, they have a genuine purpose in how we craft our schedules. It was disappointing that we weren't involved from the start with this conversation. Right, exactly. And even when you were involved, there were a number of meetings where you tried to explain why these mattered, what they did, what their effect on the schedules is, and what the effect of turning them off would cause. And maybe Scott, you can explain how effective you were at trying to communicate that message. Well, I think our team was very effective in communicating the value of these rules. I don't think the company was very receptive because they had essentially decided the path that they wanted to move forward on and we were standing in the way of that path. I kind of want to pull this back to the promise that was made in that memo, right? Which was going to be more productive trips and productive in terms of more days off for, you know, the same amount or less work or harder work. Right. It was construed as, as this would be better for the pilots. Co correct. And I think that what you learned was something completely different. I, this kind of really gets to the core of the matter. Right, Scott? Well, I don't know that it's something we learned, Will, other than we've known it all along. And, and we tried to convey this knowledge to management so they could understand it as well. But they never understood and they wouldn't listen to us. And until we actually provided a solution that was cost neutral to the company's anemic solution with the rule shut off, yeah. did the company kind of go, oh, wait, maybe these guys do know what they're talking about? Yeah, I guess maybe learned is a better way to put it as much as that you had an opportunity to prove yes. what you already knew, right? Yes, yeah. that, that's exactly how to put it. So what happened? Each month we have what's called the uh, pairing selection meeting and senior flight ops management selects the pairing solutions for the next bid period. Alpa provides solutions. The company crew planning department provides solutions. And how often do ours get selected over the companies? It's been a year since an Alpa solution wasn't picked. So tell me about November. We were uh, very pleased that management ultimately selected the output solutions. This reinforced what we've been saying all along regarding the optimizer. Safety is Alpo's number one priority and the current optimizer settings have been mutually agreed to over many years. They must not be unilaterally changed in an attempt to achieve a productivity goal. Network, when and where we fly, has the largest impact on pilot productivity, certainly not these optimizer roles. So, Scott, for November, how did our version stack up? 
If you were to summarize, the ALPA solution maintained the rule set. We adhered to schedule with safety, which is ALPA's model. We provided more pilot quality than the company's alternative solutions. The company's cost-cutting initiative is what was driving them to make these draconian cuts. But that was misguided, right? I mean, turning off that rule set really didn't save them any appreciable cost. The ALPA parent solutions for November proved that you can keep the rules and still provide a cost-conscious solution that was, in fact, cost-neutral to the company's runs. Mm -hmm. The ALPA solution actually provided more credit per day with the mutually agreed two rules on. Yeah, I think if I could summarize all that, the way this was couched initially for management was that this would save money and it would be better for the pilots because it would make their their schedules more productive. And what we found, actually what you knew all along, but what you were able to show them is that none of that was true. If you turned off those rules, it, it didn't make it cheaper and it didn't improve the schedules. However, the solution that you guys came up with was able to protect all of those safety protections that we have in the optimizer rules and also produce a schedule that was roughly on par with their cost. Yeah, that's correct. And I will say just you know, so the pilot group's aware too, David, that the solution that was chosen for November, you know, the Alpha solution was much better for pilot quality and certainly for safety than the alternative solutions the company could have chosen. Yep, I, I think it bears discussion that you explain maybe what some of those changes would have looked like had the uh, the optimizer rules that they, they were seeking to turn off, what that impact would have been. So maybe just a handful of them to explain, you know, what how that would have impacted schedules. So, for example, changing the max sit time in the optimizer or connection time as it's called from three hours to 3.59. And what that means is the optimizer, right? What we've historically done is restricted the amount of sit time that it can do between connecting flights to limit to three hours max. The company wanted to go to three hours and 59 minutes. Also, Alpo uses a sit time penalty to give the optimizer kind of encourage it not to produce sit time. And this penalty is a very small penalty. It's not truly a cost. It's just a uh, mathematical way to force the optimizer to perform in one way or the other. And by using that penalty and the lower sit time, we keep pilots moving and not having that airport appreciation time. So by moving this up another hour, um, in our test runs that we looked at, it caused a lot more sit time, which we know our pilots dislike and are a contributing factor to fatigue. Another one um, that I think pilots will be interested to know about is changing the max number of duties in a trip from four, i.e. a four-day trip, to five-day trips. Now, we've used five-day trips on the Airbus successfully for a while now, but they are very controlled and built by ALPA so that they're commutable. What we saw when the optimizer uh, picks a five-day trip, it doesn't worry about commutability whatsoever, and it doesn't put them in a base that necessarily has uh, more commuter pilots in it. So we saw no utility in increasing the five-day trips. Yeah, and it, as I recall, it wasn't just that they ended up going mainly to Portland and Orange County, but that they, they weren't really commutable even for those bases, right? They don't, the fifth day doesn't end in the morning, for example. Exactly, yeah. David. The 
flights in general or the trips in general started early in the morning and ended late at night on day five, which would give our pilots a seven day footprint to go to and from work. Right. Um, some other just more high level stuff. Uh, there were several rules that concern our Hawaii flying that encourage pure trips and reduce pilot fatigue, limits the number of uh, legs in the fly when flying to Hawaii. These things fundamentally have no impact on pilot productivity from a pilot standpoint. They keep the trip moving and provide more trip purity, which then can be built into lines and have more uh, pure lines as well. Same thing with uh, you know some of our Southeast Alaska and Arctic rules. The final one that uh, I think really could have been impactful to our pilot group is presently we use a, a maximum of four legs a day a duty period in optimization the company wanted to remove that restriction altogether we saw examples in our test studies where we had six legs a day in a pairing and not only was this uh, potentially fatiguing but the quality of life factor for our pilots just really went down when we, we started analyzing these pairings so those are just you know off the top of my head five five rules that uh, would have a, a very big impact on everybody's um, especially especially the sit time and the number of legs and the number of duty periods in a trip those those impact every pilot i want to say if you haven't seen this read the scheduling summary for november please take some time to read it um, there's very valuable information from our subject matter experts that can explain this in, in a little better detail than and with pictures um, than we can do on the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Those examples are, are interesting. So before we move on from this topic, I guess, Will, what are the key takeaways from what we learned over the last month in this? Well, the big takeaways from this to me are that the company really should have approached us earlier in this conversation when they were looking at the optimizer rule set and gotten our SME input and had the opportunity to have a discussion uh, instead of you know moving forward with the, the changes on on their terms. And I think it certainly paints a picture of where we need to go in the future. As always, that our, our committees and our volunteers have valid input and you know and oftentimes are honestly way better at being able to evaluate the impacts of something that the company's seeking to change. You know, those conversations need to happen and you know, that's that's how we move forward on a better path than what happened. And I'm glad. I am glad that the solution in November picked was the Alba pairing solution and it's my firmest expectation that that conversation and the lessons we learned in this example will carry forward and that's that's how we'll move forward in, in December as well that the optimizer rules and things that we've agreed to over many many years mutually agreed to will not be changed Scott before we lose you one last thing to talk about I think is there is a lot of open time showing up for next month what's the story behind that yeah so the company was awaiting the the state of Hawaii's decision on their COVID protocols. So starting October 15th, Hawaii uh, passengers can travel to Hawaii as long as they take a COVID test within 72 hours of, of their flight. With that new, uh, less restrictive quarantine rules going to Hawaii, the company brought back a bunch of our Hawaii flying. And you've seen that drop in 
after October 15th through the end of the month, mostly in, in the Seattle base. There's also a, a lot of new flying to other markets, uh, Atlanta, Raleigh-Durham, uh, I saw some Pittsburgh, et cetera, that was added to the schedule in the first part of October. So you're gonna see between four to 5,000 hours added to open time, or you have seen it. And we're anticipating a potential for the same kind of scenario to play out in November. Now we've been watching this closely. As soon as network planning gives it to crew scheduling, they are constructing the trips and they're putting them into open time. Um, we haven't seen them hiding open time in this in this instance, um, and they've been doing a pretty good job of getting that time those trips constructed and put put out there for the pilot group to trade pick up or ultimately they'll end up being assigned to a reserve. Well, so far, a bit of a theme on this episode is the need for pilots to be aware of their contract and make sure that it's being adhered to by management. And one of the ways to do that, of course, is to give contract compliance team a call. And maybe one of you guys wants to talk about what they've been experiencing recently. Yeah, sure, David. Uh, you know, I'll start off, I guess. But uh, bottom line is we're still seeing a nice steady stream of uh, calls into the contract compliance team, and, and that's what we'd hope. So even if you just have a question about whether something is being implemented correctly, please call the contract compliance team. It does a couple things. Once it, uh, you know, first of all, it just allows you to make sure that, you know, in your situation, the contract is being followed correctly and then gives you either assurance or, you know, the ability to, to uh, go back and re-engage the schedulers and, and uh, you know, work through the issue. But uh, more than that, it also gives scheduling, negotiating committee, grievance, all an opportunity to see trends and see what kinds of questions and concerns are coming up and how scheduling is uh, seeing those issues or handling different issues. So one of the concerns we've seen a lot it's not so much, I mean, obviously there's some big issues that we disagree on that we're working uh, through. But on top of that, we do see a lot of one-offs um, just where there's individual issues that come up. So inconsistent handling of issues that we should have already resolved. So we want to continue to make sure we're trapping those and uh, you know, making sure the company is handling all of those issues correctly. Yeah, great point, Chris. I think... Uh it's important for pilots to understand kind of the process too when they call contract compliance you leave a voicemail and that's transcribed into an email that's sent out to that committee they can handle the vast majority of calls that come into them and if they need extra support or help they'll reach out to the negotiating committee or myself on the scheduling committee to help facilitate getting the pilots a proper answer or a resolution to an issue you know and just one follow-on point with that, you know, one thing that I think the contract compliance team does exceptionally well is that when they have a question on an issue, they don't just make it up on the spot, right? They engage the group to make sure we're all on the same page and that we're able to do it correctly. So we'll tell you the answer that the contract says, not the ones that necessarily you might always want to hear, but it's important for us that the contract is handled correctly and consistently. And we work really hard to make sure we have a process that does that. Yep, I think that's a perfect springboard into one of the areas that we wanted to talk a little bit about, which is issues in scheduling. Uh, in particular, it's just been a, a constant 
issue that we hear about from pilots and as you said inconsistent handling of issues scheduling issues and you know we're going back now fully a year ago when the officer group had a chance to sit down with senior leadership uh, at the company level talking to to Gary Beck and um, Shane Tackett and Jenny Wetzel and Elizabeth Ryan about our concerns and, and we did applaud their response that the contract is a bright line and you know the promise that issues do indeed need to be addressed um, you know there's a good opportunity to fix things and you know we're, we're working on that as we speak um, conversations are ongoing to address some of the scheduling concerns and I'll just say that the solutions that we're looking at are patterned after what's proven successful at other Alpa properties um, and you know all that is to say is that in the meantime we're going to continue to advocate strongly you know on this bright line subject and with the focus on scheduling but you need to stay in regular contact and use those resources at contract compliance if you have questions yeah that's a great point well i'm glad you brought that up you know i think this is yet another opportunity to build trust and mutual agreement moving forward so you know we're going to still have a ways to go working through some of these problems but you know, further transparency is a key to trust. You know, when we're out there flying, there's a lot of uh, transparency on how we are operating and how we're working, and we welcome that. And uh, I think it's the same thing, you know, that we're looking at here, making sure that, you know, we look at things and we all understand that that mutually agreed language that we have is being implemented in the way that all of us expect it to. Yeah, and, and I will say that I appreciate the, the tenor of things to date so far because it has been on problem solving, recognizing that there are issues and looking for an effective way to problem solve it. And again, having templates out there, uh, you know, best practices that we can pattern after. And I, I do look forward to being able to talk about more of that soon. So we started this podcast episode talking about how October 1st marked some turning points, changes, and some of the changes that our company has been trying to implement. A, a big one of those, in my opinion, is the flying that's occurring in Alaska right now. And as, as you may know, uh, this month starts the beginning of E-175 flying up in the state of Alaska. And some of those routes are between our hub cities of Seattle and Portland up to Anchorage. And I only bring up this Anchorage flying because it's beginning this month in October, but this E-175 flying isn't new. It's been happening from San Francisco to LA, Seattle to LA, and throughout a lot of our route system already. So, Will, what are your thoughts about that? You know, David, it's, it's not just you who's concerned. I mean, the pilots are clearly concerned. We've heard this consistently through polling and feedback through the reps. Um, you know, these landscape changes that you noted um, above in terms of the E-175 flying are incredibly troubling right and hub to hub and proving runs for the rmp quals for these same jets through southeast i just want to reassure the pilots that we've heard loud and clear we understand that this concerns you it concerns us and we understand that meaningful job protection language is important to you uh, you know we've been trying to advance a very comprehensive scope proposal now since we began negotiations. And I will say that you can look for more information coming from your negotiating committee here on that proposal. Uh, and we'll devote podcast time to it as well. But I think it's such an important topic and really such a broad topic that we probably can't attack it in this 
podcasts do to time. Uh, importantly, too, it's not just a matter of what we're doing here at the MEC level, um, but also to raise awareness in, in the public eye and to reach out to the Alaska legislators to raise awareness. And we've we've done that. Our Council 64 reps have done a very nice job of reaching out on the legislative front um, and as well as getting uh, op-ed pieces published in the Anchorage Daily News to raise public awareness on this and, and make our concern relevant in the public eye. You know, I've been here a little over 18 years, and for all of that time, I've heard from management that we don't need scope language because we act as if we do, and we're going to continue acting as if we do because if we don't, we know we'll get it. I, I, this has been a mantra I've heard my whole career here, and this, what we just described, this is a change. Yeah, and I'll just uh, you know, add one more thing to that. Um, what we've heard from you is that job security is a huge priority on this contract. So this is not an issue that is going away. And this is one that you have told us that we need to make sure that we move forward on. So I tell you, that's the mandate that the negotiating committee has heard through the reps from you. And so uh, that's going to be what we act on moving forward. I think we're drawing close to the conclusion of the, of the topics that we had to speak about today. One thing I want to make sure we remind pilots of is a position bid that's out right now. And because there are both reductions and vacancies equally, there's a chance that there'll be a fair amount of movement. So it's important to put a full defensive bid on file. Yeah, we, we've said, again, every time we could put this on, on its own recorded loop here, but a full defensive bid on file to protect yourself if you're junior base seat or have the remotest possibility to be impacted by this position bid. Um, and that full defensive bid has got to include a backstop of your current position. They've tried their best to kind of explain that, but in the without breaking it down in too much painful detail, if you are awarded a position during the vacancy phase of the award in section 24, but then subsequently lose it as you know, unsatisfied reductions are processed, make sure that your current position is your last bid on file so that you will return back to where you started. All right, well, that's good to know. So, Will, I'm sure you have some closing thoughts for us. Yeah, I, I think one final thought is about unity again and the current and the future landscape. The most important thing that we have and that we must protect right now is unity. And unity is what got us through the challenges of a merger, an SLI, a JCBA, and it's been such a driving force in our current Section 6 negotiations. Unity is what brought us together, and it's what protects us, and it's how we prevented furloughs. And unity is what will get us through this pandemic. As we said earlier, there's going to be enough challenges to unity as the company moves forward with cash burn zero initiatives, productivity initiatives. And I just want to make the point that we don't need to artificially create our own fractures in unity by getting into either politics or religion or social issues when those conversations are not sought. You don't have to look very far to see how volatile emotions are these days in 2020 in general, but especially as we build up towards the election. And where there's gas, we just don't need there to be fire. Um, Your MECs made it a policy to focus only on pilot issues and to remain apolitical on everything else. And I guess my ask today is that as we move forward, that we as a pilot group try to do the same. 
You know, I respect that there are different perspectives on issues and not judge that perspective. Try to remain focused on our mutual goals, on defending our CBA, negotiating the improvements that you want to see in the next contract. And you know, as we move towards the election, we need to absolutely stay focused on safety and unity, nothing else. It was interesting in your chairman's letter, you mentioned both unity and solidarity. And I think it's worth talking about those two things because they, they often get used interchangeably, but there's a, a nuanced difference between them. And unity doesn't mean that we're all of the same opinions about everything. It means that we've coalesced around shared goals and that we've created solidarity about achieving those goals. And that's what becomes that driving force that you just mentioned. Yeah, I think that's a real relevant point and maybe more to the point of what I was trying to convey there. So, and, and a final note kind of along those lines is there is no shortage of stress out there. And we are starting to see that manifest itself. Um, depression and, and even suicide are becoming realities in our profession. And just a reminder to everybody out there that Alpa does have resources. One more thing to link to in the, uh, the show notes, right? But let's Absolutely. make sure the pilot peer support. Yeah information is there. Um, you please be sensitive to how real this stress is in our lives and, and really try to look out for one another because we've seen powder keg emotions and that is often the first sign that there may be a lot more going on with an individual. Um, try to respond to anger and emotion with empathy first. You know, seriously, it is our job to look out for one another first and foremost. That's what this is all about. And we'll all bring this back to what we started talking about at the top of the episode, which was that today, October 1st, marks the beginning of the retirements or the beginning of the REILs and the retirements for many of our pilots. So you know, I'm sure many of our listeners know those folks, reach out to them and uh, wish them a, a fond uh, farewell and happy retirement. And if you haven't had a chance to watch the video that where we honor these folks, please do so. And again, that, that'll be in the show notes. Yep. Thank you, David. Uh, to reiterate, you know, I and your MEC remain incredibly proud of how this pilot group rises time and time again to challenges. And we are optimistic about the future. And, you know, when we look at our past success as a pilot group, that, that future is bright. The next year to 18 months is going to be dynamic. And as always, you know, you're encouraged to reach out, make sure that we are advancing and protecting your interests and your goals. So that brings it back to the polling. It brings it back to, as always, being in touch with your elected representatives. You know, thank you again for all the work that you've done. And please, everybody, please stay safe, stay focused and, and stay unified. Yeah, thank you, Will. And thank you guys for coming in. Thank you. Thank you, David, for having us. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.